Cool. Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best panels and seminars concerning game design and publishing. This is a special episode, number 178, all about communities in game designs, as presented by Jason Pitt and Phil Vecchione. My name is Jason Pitt, a game designer, publisher, and host of the RPG Design Panelcast, which you're listening to right now. Phil, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Phil Vecchione uh, from Encoded Designs. Uh, I'm a game designer. I'm a podcaster as well on the Mr. Mark Network and uh, also a writer. So um, this is a special episode where uh, you and I wanted to get together and talk about something uh, that we're both designing in common. Yeah, we're both uh, currently working on games that center on communities and settlements. Um, particularly with a bit of a dystopian bent on the settings in question. So we thought that it would be a good excuse to talk about this and the roles of communities and settlements in uh, role-playing games and their mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's funny because we just kind of both stumbled on this at the same time, but... um, you know, really cool that we're going to get together and do this. But to get us started, um, like, let's go back to your old discussion on the four structures, because um, it sounds like uh, we're really talking about the situation of games. Yeah, it really does. I mean, fundamentally, whether your characters dragging themselves back to the village of Homeland or fighting vampires on the streets of Chicago, the situation, the place, the context for gameplay really matters and settlements and communities are a fantastic way in my opinion of bringing groups together giving them something fictional that unites them and giving them something to really care about uh beyond the standard murder hobo fare absolutely um I, I completely agree, right? Like, I think communities do a lot to get you away from murder hobo by uh, by simply the fact of grounding you um, into a place. Um, at the very least, if you're not motivated for the community, at least there are consequences because you have to stay in the same place. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a lot easier to have a group of players driven by care and support for their community, their family, their home than practically anything else. Um, that's why mechanics and procedures around them are pretty interesting. Um, I mean, Apocalypse World is actually fascinating on that regard because there's so much that's actually driven uh, when you have a hard holder, for instance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the needs of those communities really drive play in a meaningful way. And I mean, a day in the life uh, in Apocalypse World, really just re- revolves around that principle of let's see what the social context is for play. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, to me, it's one of the most fascinating playbooks uh, in Apocalypse World, right? I, I just, I, I the, from the first time I read it, I was like, oh, this is so good, right? Like, I, 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 I love the other ones for a bunch of reasons, but just that idea of we have a community, especially in an, in a post-apocalyptic setting, like we have a community is so, um, it, I don't know, it's so important. Like it, it becomes such a focal point um, for the stories that you're going to tell. 
Yeah. So, um, both of us wanted to talk about this because we've both been designing in this space. Um, so functionally, I'm expecting that during this panel recording, uh, each of us will be able to present our own project and sort of explain how it's informed our views on uh, communities and settlements and games in the hopes that this helps inspire other designers uh, to sort of play more in this space. So uh, the game that I'm bringing to the table is After the War, which is going to be kickstarting in November 2018 uh, for listeners in the future, uh, which is a mimetic science fiction horror game. Uh, ten years after the Galactic War, millions of refugees try to settle on an alien world known as Polvo. Strangers, united by um, only by common traumatic experiences, try to build new lives and new homes for themselves. Um, in my game, the primary activity of player characters is to keep the peace, deal with threats to the settlement, and generally make the community come together in the wake of trauma. And I designed the game around settlements as a way of both bringing the characters together as a group and more meaningfully to teach people how to offer emotional support and care to survivors of trauma in stressful times, uh, which seems very relevant right now. That seems so super relevant. Like it's such, oh my God, I, I'm really excited for, um, for your Kickstarter. This game sounds absolutely amazing. Like you've already sold me on just, uh, on just the intro. So um, I'm going to talk about hydro hacker operatives or just hydro hackers for short. Um, and in Hi hydro hackers is a dystopian future where water uh, is the most uh, valuable commodity. In fact, there's no uh, naturally occurring drinkable water left on earth. It's either um, recycled water um, which is what you can get on Earth, or you can get fresh water if it's brought in um, from orbit, so from Mars and Europa. And so um, in the game is set in America, and in America, um, water is controlled by a government corporation called the Water Authority, um, who doles out water uh, to various neighborhoods. And uh, like when I introduced the game, the Water Authority is the uh, worst combination of a government agency a cable company and a software company. So um, it, it delivers, but it, it's really awful. And you, you know, if you're wealthy, you have better access to water and things like that. Um, and um, a big part of the game is the neighborhood, uh, which um, you, you really get to play out in, uh, in campaign in the campaign version uh, where everything you do, and the water that you uh, steal and collect and things like that uh, go into feeding the neighborhood. And, Ooh, water um, babies. Yes. Yeah, that's actually in the game, um, which is uh, something that actually Jason created during um, a playtest in Metatopia 2017. I th not Metatopia. Uh, Dreamation. Dreamation 2017. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my design intent, it's funny cause I was laughing before when you were doing the intro and it wasn't that I was uh, making fun of you, but my intent was to actually, um, move the, my design away from a murder hobo version of the game. Uh, because the original inspirations for Hydra hackers were from cyberpunk. And, um, there's just that trope of like runners who take jobs for money. 
And when I started doing the initial play tests, that's what started to happen. Like people were like, oh, I'm going to go score me some sweet water and sell it down to people and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, nope, nope. That's not what this game's about. Um, and so to kind of nip that in the bud, um, I decided to center the um, the game around a neighborhood that like you won't, you were doing this to keep your neighborhood alive. Um and I kind of took a little inspiration uh, for that from uh, a, what I think is a very underrated game from the 1990s, which is Underground. And um, I started to design that idea that the hackers, you know, were rooted in the neighborhood and, and were actually part of the uh, of the community. And so that the stakes for what they did uh, were more tangible, like the neighborhood will thrive or fail uh, based on their efforts. Right. So we're both clearly designing in similar but somewhat diverging directions. Mm-hmm. Um, so from how I understand it, you your game is focusing on maintaining an existing community. Yes. By contrast, my game is focused on effectively building a community. So having mm-hmm. people come together as opposed to stay together. Yeah, so that's it, cool. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see that we're working in somewhat similar directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, both of our games deal with external threats and scarcities. Um, both of them clearly must involve relationships. Um, so uh, what? how do relationships fit within... Uh, between members of the community and the PCs work within the context of Hydro Hackers. So, yeah. So in Hydro Hackers, um, in Hydro Hackers, the um, the players have basically the role. Uh, so as hackers, as Hydro Hackers, um, they're kind of like looked up to by the neighborhood because they're the, they're the people who uh, get things done. Uh, so the neighborhood will often turn to them uh, not only b- for water, but for other problems. So they become kind of these like local, um, local heroes, local problem solvers, things like that. So they, they do have kind of an elevated status um, in the neighborhood, but what they do is also really illegal. So not everybody's thrilled with it. And uh, clearly, you know, um, external things like law enforcement and things like that are, you know, pushing down, um, on them, but yeah, within the neighborhood, their relationship is basically that they are the the people who get things done. Right. By so, contrast, uh, yeah. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna ask you. So, how in after the war? Um, how how does that uh, how does that work? So, in after the war, there are a number of NPCs that are established, which are representing the various industries that are at the heart of the community. So for instance, if you're uh, playing in the boneyard, then you might have um, salvage as an industry. So you'll have an NPC who represents the salvage industry and accordingly sort of that representing that uh, portion of the community on, on a whole. And you wind up actually uh, building more complex relationships with characters and establishing more characters because um, 
functionally NPCs work as a blade of armor um, for PCs. So if uh, player characters are taken out, then they can sacrifice an NPC uh, as part of that process. Oof. Talk about uh, decision. Talk about deci hard decisions. Uh, and then, as part of that, uh, there's actually a grief mechanic, which is you're going through and saying, um, "Here's a list of questions. Uh, what is one thing that you uh, regret that you were unable to do to say to this person, or?" Uh, what is the one moment that brings you the most joy in thinking about this person? Um, so you effectively, the ramifications of this person and their life ripples through the settlement in the future story. Uh, that's, so that's amazing. So the, the player characters are effectively driven to form relationships with people in the settlement uh, for entirely selfish game reasons. Um, and that sort of encourages them to strengthen the bonds of community and builds things in common between both them and the other PCs and with the community on a whole. Because the entire community notices when the medic um, dies in a tragic accident. It's something that sort of unites people in this context. So that's sort of how relationships are situated uh, in this context. I think that's fantastic. Like, I really... Um... I think I think it's great. Like I think the um, I I don't know. I'm just my mind's racing thinking about the that uh, that hard decision of you know do I sacrifice myself? Do I sacrifice this NPC? And then if I do, the consequences of having to kind of live with that decision. Like I think that's so heavy. Like it's so good. Well, I'm also designing a game about trauma, um, as opposed to a game about uh, overcoming oppression. So. Um, yeah, so I go dark. Um, whereas, uh, Hydro Hackers, I get the impression that you're, you have a lot more positive and sort of lasting, uh, beneficial relationships. Yeah, I think, I mean, over time, um, as you're building out the community, like you're, you're identifying NPCs. And so like, you know, through play, um, through play, you're going to, you know, you're going to have those more lasting relationships. And, and, and truthfully, there's a part of it where what the Hydra hackers do is so illegal that um, they do actually, to some extent, while they are a part of the community, they, they can't be a very public part of the community, right? Like they're the person you go to, like in the back of the bar when there's a problem, like it's the kind of thing where um, the neighborhood acknowledges that they're there, but at the same time, like you can't be publicly known for this, uh, for this work. So yeah, it's a little, it's a little different in that um, the hydro hackers have almost um, 
I don't want to say superhero like role, but it kind of in a way they do, right? Like they, they can't be very public about their um, actions and they have to kind of keep everything on the down low. And, you know, when water arrives, you know, everybody knows like where it came from. Uh, but at the same time, like people aren't high fiving you in the street. Right. I almost get a slight X-Men vibe, but that might just be my love for the Claremont X-Men. Um, yeah, I mean, I have much love for the Claremont X-Men as well. It would be hard. It would be hard for me to say that some part of that doesn't um, factor in only because of how much um, how much Claremont X-Men I read through my childhood. Like that stuff's basically burned into my my psyche at this point. Uh, yeah, so um, overall, what do you think communities bring to a game? Yeah, I think the cool part, and we touched on this in a couple other um, places already, but I think some of the really cool things that, that communities do um, is one, it creates an emotional investment um, in a place and people. Um, it, it, so it definitely, it breaks you from that murder hobo where you're just like, eh, whatever, this town barely needs a name because like we're not going to be here in two sessions. Um, having that grounded place where you're like, no, no, you live here. This is your home. Um, definitely creates an emotional investment from you know the players start to invest in that um in that space uh, i think it's full of tons of story hooks because of the people whose lives are going on and how um the world will interact with them and how what the characters do will have effects on them so i think you're you know you'll always have um story to you know to pull from uh, i think it's definitely we talked about internal and external um threats uh, it's definitely a motivation for players. Like, you know, once you have that emotional investment, I can put something on the outside of the neighborhood to threaten it and can get the player's attention, right? I can get them to pull the story in that uh, in that direction. Um, and I think that I think that neighborhoods and communities set and enforce the tone of your game um, because uh, they're fixed and how you design them conveys a lot about how... Um, how this game works yeah how... i mean they also get bring a sense of familiarity and permanence um which mm -hmm. let you reincorporate places events or even people and scenes because you have a you know here's the standard cast here is the barkeep um that that gives you characters that you can bring in time and time again and um, more of a sense of reality. Uh, one of the challenges I actually had when running my first Apocalypse World campaign was that I didn't have a community around my player characters. It was a Arctic wasteland. Um, so it was a bunch of loners who didn't have NPCs to interact with, didn't have other relationships to ground them. So it, there was a lot of aimless wandering of what should we do next? Because there were few hooks and few people that could drive the story forward. Um, so yeah, I mean, communities really help um, as you said, story hooks, emotional investments. I mean, it it helps give some kind of direction 
Uh, so there's a lot less of the random wandering, uh, which, I mean, comes back down to situation. Um, that's functionally where you get the core of a strong situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking of, um, I was just thinking of the Amber Diceless, uh, game, which, you know, you're, you know, basically individual godlike, um, creatures that, um, hardly like each other. And, um, you have basically the universe as your, um, as your playground, but, all roads lead back to Amber. So there's always this commonality that draws um, all the players back together. And I, I think that in games where you wind up having more loner types, it's even more important to have um, something like a community to kind of pull them together because they, like, like you said, in your apocalypse world game, they can just go wander off in different directions. And then as a GM, like you are really working to make a story out of, you know, six dive you know six threads that are like all over the place i had to have my driver fall in love with his jeep just saying (laughs) it's apocalypse world it worked yeah (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah so so what kinds of stories do communities allow us to tell yeah um well I, you know, from the external side, right, from the external issues, um, you know, we can have political and legal threats. Uh, that's a big thing in Hydra Hackers. Um, you always have the water authority um, pushing down uh, and looking for the hackers and looking for stolen water and things like that. Um, there's religious and cultural threats, um, which in Hydra Hackers kind of comes in the form, not so much of religion, but uh, other neighborhoods are, you know, maybe wanting what you have, Um and so, you know, there's there's that issue to deal with um, physical and military threats, of course. Right. We can have uh, we can have forces um, threaten or attack the um, the community or neighborhood. Um, and, you know, that can be um, in terms of um, that can be in terms of uh, crime that can be gangs that can be alien invaders. It's all sorts of uh, anything external that's kind of coming to that environment and threatening it. But that's external stuff. What happens, like, there's still plenty of stuff that can happen internally, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, there's always internal factions and conflicts within any community, um, as I'm certain most people have experience with. Uh, You always have um, uh, the Apple faction and the Orange faction uh, who are... 99% 99% aligned in their goals, but that 1% causes all sorts of conflict and friction. Um, you'll have plenty of scarcity uh, in terms of both goods and services. Uh, for instance, say water might be somewhat scarce in Hydra Hackers. Um, it's a little bit less of an issue in After the War, uh, but by contrast, um, actual medical treatment and psychological help is more of a challenge after the war. Um, uh, Small digression. uh, After the war involves uh, mind-controlling, brainwashing alien forces that wander around and subtly twist people's beliefs uh, out from under them. 
So there's a lot of um, threats on that end, which are simultaneously both external and internal, as uh, people on the inside find their behavior and perspectives warped by something on the outside. Um, but that's just a digression. Um, other kinds of internal issues can be law and crime. Um, you'll get criminal factions, drugs, violence, um, theft. Uh, all of these things can cause some major problems. And just interpersonal drama. Because if you throw in a random divorce uh, or rival uh, siblings, that can lead to some very tense stories. I agree. Um, and I suspect that in terms of some of the external issues, economics are also an, an element. I mean, you have a lot of that baked into Hydro Hackers. Uh, yeah, there's different... Uh, when we get into talking about how we how we did that mechanically, yeah, there's some things that actually talk about, um, you know, how economies work and things like that as well. Perfect. So... Um, so what are so what are your design inspirations for communities? Like what RPGs uh, led you to, you know, like like really pick up on or really were inspired like inspired uh, your ideas for uh, communities? So there's a number of them. Um, the ones that are top of mind are um, Apocalypse World for reasons we've already mentioned. Uh, I would also like to bring up um, uh, how we came to live here. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, which is an older game, which I believe is out of print for uh, uh, revision based on cultural sensitivity issues. However, um, one of the key things there is there's uh, both um, effectively internal threats and external threats divided out as separate things. Um, and uh, I, I'm uncertain if those if that came in the form of two different participants playing those or if they were just different facets of the same uh, GM figure. I, I don't recall. I haven't read it in a, in a little while, but I remembered that concept as being pretty fundamental. And I'd have to say another one uh, similar to this was um, oh, why am I glitching on this? Oh, I how would I just push this on to you and then I'll try to get back to you when I remember what yes. that other game was. Absolutely. If it jumps out at you, yep. let me know. Uh, let's see. For me, I mentioned underground already. Underground was uh, the first time I saw a game where um, the player's actions could improve a community. And that to me was um, just a brilliant idea, like, like an actual mechanic for it. And I, I just, I thought that was great. Like the game is about these, you know, 
um, super soldiers coming home from war. And um, so much of the game is like about crime and stuff like that. But it, it, there's this like you get to this section and it's like, yeah, you can actually make your world a better place um, by playing the game and investing your experience points or whatever into um, improving different uh, aspects of your community. So I, I just loved that. Um, and then uh, the next one, the Dresden city, um, the uh, Dresden files, the um, city creation. So the idea of, okay, we're going to create a city and we're going to have locations and locations are going to have NPCs tied to them. Um, because by the time we're done kind of building this together, we'll have this whole pool of places, interesting places and interesting NPCs uh, that we can draw upon. I, I thought that was great. Um, the hood is a powered by the apocalypse game, um, which I love. Um, and the hood was my main inspiration for when we talk a little bit later about uh, how I did the map for my community. Um, the, the hood's a fantastic uh, little PBTA game about uh, small time petty crime uh, in, in a neighborhood. And it's just, it's a, such a brilliant little game. Uh, so I totally dug that. And um, the quiet year. I love the quiet year. Um, I love the map making aspect as well. Um, I just like, I really enjoy, uh, I really enjoy that game uh, in general. So, you know, those were things that, um, that kind of, you know, I, I guess I've always liked now that I think about it. So the underground was like a game from the nineties. I think I always have like kept an ear out for, um, for games that have some sort of community element to it. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, uh, so I figured out uh, the two other inspirations. Uh, one of which is Sagas of the Icelanders. Mm -hmm. um, in that the, the strong feeling of scarcity and how that drives small, tightly knit bands of people um, really resonates with the ideas of communities, settlements, and families. Effectively small town dynamics. Um, and, uh, another one, which I haven't incorporated directly, but has a lot of potential, uh, from a mechanical perspective, um, is Kingdom by, um, uh, Ben Robbins, mm -hmm. uh, creator of Microscope, which divides up roles in a community in very interesting ways, uh, so that you have one person who is making the decisions, one person who is um, saying what the consequence, consequences will be of those decisions, either for or against, and one person is saying how people feel about it. Which is a fascinating way of characterizing group decision-making and leadership mm -hmm. within fractious communities. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so how do we represent the communities in our games? Yeah, so how did you do it in After the War? So um, I previously mentioned that um, each settlement has industries. So I actually have a series of... Um, six base settlements in the game, which are uh, bone yards, which are salvage yards from uh, fallen spaceships. Uh, 
uh, trading posts, military outposts, uh, research enclaves, uh, farming uh, settlements, and spaceports, if I recall correctly. I think that's the breakdown. Um, so each of them has their own industries. And you decide which industries exist in your particular settlement and then draw a map around that, um, including things such as um, test test. You can hear me. Yep. All right. Yep. Hear you now. Fantastic. Uh, including so it shows things such as what are places that um, the community comes together. What are the places that the members of the community avoid? Um, so effectively building a more solid sense of place around the community in the same way that the quiet year does it. Um, and then what you do is um, create these NPCs, this cast of NPCs that represent the geographic places in the community. And then these NPCs have relationships both between each other, with the player characters, and with the neighboring settlements. So, for instance, if you're in an agricultural uh, community, then um, the person who's in charge of the uh, animal husbandry might have a uh, child who's working in the military base to the east. Uh, so that relationship works as almost a proxy with your neighboring settlements. So you get these complex webs of um, other outside communities and their own uh, motivations interacting with internal NPCs and player characters stuck in the middle. So that's sort of how I represent um, the wibbly-wobbly mess of community uh, from a gameplay perspective in After the War. How about Hydra Hackers? Yeah, so for Hydra Hackers, the neighborhood is represented by a playbook. So this is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. And so um, there is a playbook for the neighborhood, uh, which the whole uh, group creates together. Uh, and so much like any other PBTA uh, playbook, there are a bunch of choices. So... Um, you have some tags that you're going to pick about your neighborhood, some positive ones, some negative ones. Uh, so like a positive tag might be like it is uh, clean. A negative tag might be that it's isolated. Um, those kinds of things. It has um, the neighborhood has a, has moves that it can uh, that it can take uh, on behalf of the characters. So, um, for instance, there's um, there's a move called Night on the Town. Um, which um, the players can then access uh, if that's unlocked. The players can then use that uh, to remove any um, conditions they have to any of their mental attributes. They can basically like go out on the town and blow off some steam um, and kind of heal up. 
Uh, and then there's some other, there's like a handful, there's uh, other moves for things like finding equipment, getting information, things like that. Uh, and then lastly, the neighborhood has its own set of attributes that are different from the character attributes, and they represent things like um, safety, health, business, happiness, and I forget what the last one is off the top of my head, but the five of them represent um, the different uh the different like health levels of the neighborhood and um they are um they're all um uh they're all basically they have a rating and then they're all that rating is bolstered by a tank of water um and then as long as the tank doesn't go empty the stat remains at the number that it's at and if somehow the tank gets full you can actually raise the attribute um and so the players um wind up engaged in making sure that you have enough water uh, because these stats can fall into uh, disarray. And so as a stat drops, it becomes um, it becomes manifest in the neighborhood. So if uh, if safety should drop, the neighborhood suddenly becomes less safe. Like there's, you know, now robberies and, you know, in the evenings and things like that. Uh, and then the way that you draw, like then the way you draw the map is again, heavily inspired uh, by the hood. Uh, but you basically start by creating a main street and then uh, everybody draws a branch off of main street and starts putting things on it. And so the first thing that everyone puts is their home. So where do you live in this neighborhood? Um, the other one is that part of the character creation asks you, for your motivation like why do you do this highly illegal and and very dangerous job and so then you have to go and put a spot on the map that is some representation of your motivation uh, and then finally you um, define what threats uh, face your neighborhood and those actually get placed on the map as well so maybe the water authorities um, station house is down the street or there's an aggressive um real estate developer who would love to plow over most of this neighborhood and turn it into a strip mall. Uh, you might put his, you know, like his office down the street kind of thing. So once you have done all of that, um, you have this neighborhood that has all these different roads and streets uh, and then different locations. And so that's um, kind of a little bit between the hood and Dresden where, um, oh, I'm sorry. And you also attach an NPC to each one of those locations. So by the time you're done, you have this collection of um, places and people uh, that the GM can immediately draw into uh, the initial, you know, the initial moments of the game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we're clearly playing with some of the same component pieces in our game designs. Uh, yeah. But we're designing uh, a part in other places, which is fascinating. Yeah, I think it, I think it goes to show how versatile uh, the uh, how versatile the concept of communities can be and how many different stories you can tell uh, about communities like you know down with murder hobos let's you know let's make communities and you know have connections and people and stuff like that so just riffing off this what are some other ways that we could represent communities uh, from a mechanical perspective um we could run with aspects mm -hmm. um Absolutely. That's a tried and true. I mean, functionally, Dresden City creation is here's a whole bunch of aspects that are representing locations. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, uh, let's see. 
Um, I'm trying to think of different systems that you would uh, like. So that's so that's fate. That's PBTA. <laughs> how else would you? Uh, how else would you represent a community? Uh, countdown clocks. Uh, yeah. So definitely in. Uh, so if you're doing a blades, if you're doing a blades kind of thing, you definitely can do. Um, you do countdown <clears throat> clocks. You can do. Um, oh, let's see. You can do countdown clocks for things that are going on. You can do. Um, oh, different. Uh, like you could do different tiers and factions for parts of neighborhoods. Like I mean, that's very much in blades, right? Like in blades, you had the different gangs, but. Um, you could easily have in a neighborhood like different groups of people and have them, um, you know, different levels of influence in the neighborhood if you were going to do something, you know, um, less villainy, right? Like you're going to do something more social. Um, it wouldn't be so much their force, like, you know, like gangs and blades, but it could be their um, their ability to influence. Right. I mean, um, there's the dogs in the vineyard approach whereby effectively um, settlements have a central problem and they're filled with uh, conflict mines um, in that there's uh, these dice of opposition that are floating around uh, for certain fictional things within this sort of tense uh community mm -hmm. i think that's interesting that'd be fun i was just scanning my bookshelf to see like what other games i have sitting on my bookshelf and like you know how communities would represent um but you know i think um like i was just i just scanned because it's like the thickest book on my bookshelf is uh dungeon crawl classics and so you know, communities in, in Dungeon Crawl Classics are a place where, you know, your temples for your clerics are. Um, it's probably the place that if you, you know, where you're going to go buy supplies and uh, where you can be able to recuperate and train, you know, maybe you need to train to get to your next level or do research and things like that. Like often community is that place where um, adventurers fall back to, right, right as, as a way to, um, to basically uh, do their level up. You know, like all of their level up actions. Uh, there is Durance as an approach. Um, mm -hmm. oh, I hadn't thought about that game in yeah. a while. Yeah. It's a brilliant game that people really need to pay more attention to. Um, quick sidebar, quick sidebar. I am backer number one. On you are Durance. backer number one. I was home from work the day it came out and I was sitting right on the computer and I was like, bam, backed. And I have a picture of it. Like I have a screen cap of like, you are backer number one. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Um, so the way that they build uh, both star system, uh, sorry, um, planets and colonies, uh, which is effectively saying, pick one thing where you're... Uh, not terrible at and then pick one thing that you are terrible at um right. is a fascinating way of building dysfunctional communities uh and they mm -hmm. the status ladders are very interesting i agree i was just looking at um i was just looking behind me tales from the loop um tales from the loop has something it's probably it's not so much a community, although 
you could do it as a community, which is um, they do it on a slightly larger scale, but it is a landscape of mysteries. So like just each, like just people in town and people outside of town having like all these like little weird quirky things that, you know, the players can interact with. Right. Um, you can even do something as simple as fiasco. Just the mm-hmm. relationships, yeah, some... um, relationships in common between characters or places. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so and there's so many. I mean, in the original, um, even in the original book itself, the, the um, uh, what you call it, several of those are community based, right? In a southern town, um, I think there's one in the suburbs, which is pretty yep. hilarious. Yeah, those are great. Just, you know, there's a lot of interesting ground available. Uh, oh, one last one. Dialect. Mm-hmm. No. Language. Course, yeah. Here, just just, just play with that. Um, yeah. Um, anyways, back a little bit closer to the topic. Um, what kinds... Yep of mechanics have you created to represent distress in communities in hydro hackers? Yeah. So I, I mentioned this at the, uh, I mentioned this when I was talking about the stats. And so uh, each of the stats of the neighborhood has a, an associated water tank with it. Um, and then in addition to that, it has a, um, it, each stat can take a condition. Um, and so as um during the course of play, the, the water tanks are draining, but as um, as a uh, GM move, you can um, you can have a faction attack one of these attributes, uh, and if the attribute gets low enough, uh, can actually take a condition, and the condition actually causes the tank to empty faster. So it becomes like, you know, you're, it's basically an open wound. And so now like, you're not just trickling out water, like you're hemorrhaging water. Um, and a neighborhood can actually only take three out of its five conditions. And then, um, it basically collapses. And, um, when it collapses, the water authority comes in, clears out the mayor and takes control of the neighborhood for a period of time until it gets back on its feet. Like it, it takes emergency measures. Um, and during that time, it's like miserable for the hackers because the water authority is like now in power, like rooted in their neighborhood. Um, and you actually have to get the neighborhood back up and running and have an election to to you have to help uh, get an election done to get a new mayor and get the water authority to leave. Um, otherwise, you have to kind of live in this kind of oppressed um oppressed existence which is even more impressive than the actual regular setting which is has its own layer i was gonna say that sounds optimistic you mean there's elections that change things um i mean you know in as much as you know it depends i mean there are good mayors and there are bad mayors good mayors are you know really trying to um to to wrangle all of these services for their neighborhoods and bad ones are taking cuts of water you know left and right and kind of, you know, um, you know, live in the high life while their, you know, constituents are, you know, barely drinking. So yeah, it's, um, there can be good manners. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just cynical. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so in After the War, I had previously mentioned uh, NPCs as a blade of armor um, that effectively get taken out uh, due to the misadventures of PCs. Um, there's also the fact that uh, both NPC behavior and PC behavior will be altered in uh, by those aforementioned mind-controlling, uh, brainwashing alien forces of the Song and Tormenta, uh, which will make it such that the members of the community have a harder time working together. Um, as someone who was thinking that... Um, Children are our future. Uh, now wakes up the next day and finds that power is our future. Uh, or that children are our curse. Well, that, that causes major problems in a community. Uh, so that's sort of how you represent distress. In that the effectively social dysfunction... Um, paired with the grief when characters die and the tension with new relationships uh, being formed with NPCs. Sort of that mess uh, represents how distress is represented from a mechanical perspective. Love it. How about change? How do yes. you keep track of change? Uh, yeah, so um, so change. Um, so there's an actual um, there's a phase of play at the end of every story that is the neighborhood phase, and and that's um, and that's where most of the um, that's where that's where uh, all the um, tanks of water tick down, and that's where you make your kind of resource. Um, allocation kind of moves. Um, but so that phase, um, that phase is always triggered at the end of every story. So when, when a story concludes before the next story begins, we do a neighborhood phase. So the neighborhood has this, um, this moment of change and um, the way that you can, um, the way that you can improve the neighborhood uh, is to actually do uh, advancements. So, it's, it's a playbook like any other PBTA playbook. So it does have advancements, but instead of doing that through experience points, um, first of all, the advancements are called renovations and um, they're done as project, essentially project clocks um, by filling them up with water. So you basically have to hoard enough water um, to, you hoard enough water, which is six units of water in the game. And you say, okay, well, we would like to do an advancement. You pick one from the list. Like, for instance, maybe you're going to get rid of the negative tag dirty. And so you have to actually describe this project. Like, what is the project that, you know, the community is going to do to make the neighborhood better? And um, you describe it. You then mark on the map a location that kind of symbolizes that effort. You um, create your tank full of water. And then after each... Uh, at the next neighborhood phase, uh, you roll to see how well the, pro the how well the projects progressed, and you remove a certain amount of water from the tank. And when the tank empties, 
your project comes to fruition and you actually get your, you get your advancement. Uh, so um, there's that hopeful side, which is the renovations. And then you are constantly battling these uh, countdown clocks on all of your attributes. And so um, there is this strong need to go and steal more water because you get a small water allowance each, um, each phase, but it is never enough to keep all the tanks full. Like you have to divide them up over tanks. And even then there aren't enough to go, go around kind of thing. So um, there's that built-in scarcity. There's this built-in countdown. And then, um, and then at the same time, we have this really positive thing. So if you can do a really good score of water, um, you can actually make like an actual noticeable difference in your neighborhood. Very nice. So, Thanks. So after, so in after the war, how, how do things, uh, how do things change? Well, you have an existing map. So for instance, um, in one of the games I was running at a Gen Con, um, we had, uh, someone using a repurposed ion thruster, uh, as a metallurgical forge. And, uh, antagonistic forces took control of that and powered it up for two seconds rather than 0.2 seconds. Um, so it blasted a swath of destruction through the settlement. And you would draw this on the physical map to represent the lasting scars and molten slag and collapsing buildings. Um, and then... Um, represent the change in that very visual way. Um, you will uh, represent the change by um, changing the characters present within it, uh, the NPCs, etc. And uh, even more interestingly, um, there is a... In, in the same way that Apocalypse World has a retire your characters to safety... Um, mm -hmm. as you play the game, your characters gain more and more convictions, which are, um, beliefs that are unquestioned, uh, and are treated as fundamental truths for that, uh, character. And you accumulate more and more of these convictions when you get enough of them you retire from PC status and become an NPC in the settlement set in their ways. Um, who has, who knows what they, uh, believe in and, uh, holds true to it. So they become permanent fixtures of that community. I, it's so funny. Um, I actually have a similar mechanic for the PCs uh, in Hydra Hackers. The final advancement you can take is called Become a Neighborhood Icon. Um, and it was directly inspired by uh, Pops from uh, Light right. Cage. Uh, and in essence, in, in, in Hydra Hackers, you become a move. Right that that the neighborhood gets like something about you that's iconic becomes a move that future future players can actually access in the neighborhood very nice um yeah it seems like the end of a character's story 
impacting the community is a really meaningful aspect to it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think if you have a community, um, if you have a community, you have this, you have this um, moment for a legacy, right? Like there's a moment where you leave your imprint on uh, the neighborhood uh, beyond what you're, you know, beyond your playable part as your character, which goes into what you were saying all the way at the beginning about continuity, right? Like now that this, um, now that this character has become an NPC, uh, when you were like, say when you return to the game, maybe you took a break um, and you come back to the game and now, you know, a character that everybody's familiar with is now an NPC, you know, you know, in the game. And that's a huge uh, piece of continuity that players will, you know, will absolutely love oh, and absolutely. grab onto. Well, do you have any other major thoughts on communities and settlements in games and the ways that we can represent these mechanically? I I think they are, um, I think they're fantastic. I think that uh, it's a great design space to design around different ideas about communities and um, how communities affect what uh, PCs can do and with the consequences of, you know, PCs actions and things like that um, in the context of a community. So I really think, I think it's a fascinating um, space to design in. And um, I'm always curious to see how people um, look at different communities, uh, especially marginalized communities, like how marginalized communities work um, in the, you know, in various settings and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I think people, I think people who are designing games should just, you know, look at, um, you know, can you ground your game in a community? What's the community context of your game? That kind of thing. Like, I, I think like we should all explore that space. Absolutely. And on a related note, um, dream askew Uh (laughs) as as a beautiful example, um, because Avery is brilliant. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of potential in it. And it's something that we have only effectively uh, scraped the surface of from a design perspective. Because we typically focus more on the one protagonist and less on the context that they're uh, living in. So I, I really look forward to seeing more games um, explore this space mechanically and procedurally. <sighs> well. So tell me before, it's, as, as it sounds like we're getting close to the conclusion of our, our discussion, uh, tell me where people are going to be able to find After the War. Well. Uh, you will be able to check it out on Kickstarter on November 12th, 2018. Uh, just go to kickstarter.games. Yes, that is the URL, kickstarter.games, and it will send you there. Excellent, excellent. Um, Hydra Hackers is, uh, the ash can of Hydra Hackers is currently available on drive through RPG. So you can get it in, um, you can get it in PDF or, uh, you can get it in print on demand. Um, it's $5 print and I think eight ninety five or something on print on demand. Um, 
And uh, you can also follow the Water Authority's Twitter account, which is uh, H2O Authority RPG. Uh, tweets a few times a week um, with all sorts of news and events going on in Hydro Hackers. Um, it is also um, actively being tweeted against uh, by the local 666 uh, Twitter account, which is uh, the Devil's Plumbers, um, which is a um, which is a gang of uh, plumbers and Hydro Hackers. Um, so you can actually watch the two of them uh, argue back and forth, uh, as well as pick up uh, tips and stuff about the game. All righty. Uh, Jason, where do people find you on the uh, Well, internet? you can find me on my website uh, at www.genesisoflegend.com, on Twitter at Genesis of Legend, or just keep listening to the RPG Design Panelcast. Uh, what about Phil? Where can we find a Phil? Uh yeah, you can find, uh, mostly you can find me hanging out on Twitter at DNA Phil, uh, but you can also follow me um, on Encoded Designs, Gnome Stew, and Misdirected Mark. Um, you can always pick up the Misdirected Mark podcast. It's um, recorded live Tuesdays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern. 6.45 the um, Queen's time. Via Twitch. 6.45 the Queen's time. Um and that's on Twitch, so you can watch it uh, streaming, or you can get your podcast. You can pick it up um, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, also you can hear me on Pandas Talk Games with my um, other awesome co-host Senda, uh, where we um, we talk about uh, campaigns and we talk about one shots. And uh, actually, we're going to be uh, doing actually a little actual play um, over the next couple weeks as we uh, kind of bring our GMing advice into. Uh, into the lab, so to speak, and do some, uh, a little bit of actual play coupled with a little bit of GMing advice. So fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me because this has been a fascinating discussion and we really ought to chat more about game design bits. Uh, yeah. Anytime, man. Anytime. All right. Well, I will let you be. And uh, to the audience, I hope you enjoyed this special episode talking about communities and settlements in games. Ciao. Thanks. <laughs>